Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. I was a single father with full custody of four children. And I would tell one of my children, I have to go to work. And they would say, can't you stay home and play with me? No, I can't because I have to go to work. I have to do this. And like you were saying, Ash, what about these people who have to do this and think they have to do that? Well, they don't have to, they're choosing to. Hey everybody, it's Ash here and I am with Steve Chandler. He's a consultant and he's a coach. And personally, he's helped me in so many ways rising into my creativity and upgrading my mindset because he's an author to so many books that have really helped my own life. And I brought him on to talk about how you can make certain shifts in your mind, mind shifts, that can help you rise into more creativity. And we're going to talk about some fundamental distinctions in your approach to your own being and your life so that you can take more action and step into more creativity. So... Steve, I could totally go into fangirl mode, but I'm going to keep myself cool over here with you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm very happy to be here, Ash, and uh, you can go fangirl if you like, or you can be a grown-up podcast director. You know, I try to step into the grown-up podcast director, but I think the truth of the matter is... You know, when I started my coaching practice, and those of you who are listening who ever thought about it, I read your book, The Prosperous Coach, as many coaches do, and that was the book that really shifted my mindset, and I know so many coaches feel the same, and you had told me so many different distinctions that have shifted the way I see the world, and I'm curious to learn, how did your mind get to be the way it is? Like, what work have you done, or what's been profound for you, or or drawn you to this work in the first place? Well, I think in my case, I was so desperate. You know, I was really hurting in almost every area of my life, mind, body, and spirit. And I went through addiction problems and bankruptcy and divorce. And I was really looking for a reason to live or a way to live. And I didn't have any guidance whatsoever, or at least I didn't think I did. So I kind of stumbled into it through recovery from addiction was the first big step that showed me there was such a thing as spiritual evolution that was available to any human being, no matter how low they had fallen or how how much suffering they were in psychologically. 
And then from there, one thing led to another. And I started finding uh, books I loved reading and mentors and um, coaches who coached me, teachers whose seminars I went to. And it just was one thing after another of completely starting my life all over and, and inventing myself from, from zero, from total blank. And, and that was my story. I was desperate. Uh, I had to find something. Mm. And I think that, that gave me a push into really being passionate about spirituality and psychology and how the mind works. Because it, it hit me that we, we, were, we were not designed to feel miserable. That doesn't make any sense because the flowers don't feel miserable. The birds and the animals and the trees don't feel miserable. Why should a human being be suffering psychologically? There's something off there. Mm. There's something out of harmony with the basic energy of the universe if we fall into that which I did in a really profound way. So that's that's what moved me into these fields. Wow. And, you know, I think for me, I've been seeking a feeling of relief ever since I was a kid. And I think when I talk to people, I seek to help them feel relief. I don't know if that's just what I'm projecting because it's what I'm seeking. And that's something that I felt a lot from listening to your distinctions because they're so easy to remember. So those of you listening, um, in my, you know, my first life as an entrepreneur, I had about 6,000 people in a job hunting course, which is now the job offer Academy. And I remember sending out your distinctions, Steve, and they were so powerful for so many people. And so I wanted to go through some of them and you talked about creating versus reacting, you know, awareness versus belief. So I'd love to start with since you're doing so much work on creativity, what do you mean in the distinction of creating something versus reacting? Yeah, you know, the reason I, I came up with these distinctions was because um, I wanted my mind to have clear choices. And, and I realized that if I just tried to add information into my system, that I'd be overwhelmed with information that I would be trying to remember. But when there was a clear distinction between uh, yes and no, up and down, life and death, and creating or reacting it was one of them, that, then I could see the clear choice I always have. And that made it simpler. And when you can see a distinction and you really see it, you don't have to memorize it or try to remember it. It drops in at the muscle memory level or at the in the heart level instead of just information for the the brain to remember hmm. so creating reacting i i realized this choice i had um when i was working with my own coach and so anytime a problem came up i would describe it to my coach and say i've got a real problem here's what's going on and he would say to me Given what's going on, what you've just described, what would you like to create? And it was a it was a confusing question because um, I wanted to solve the problem. I wanted to stay with the problem or stay inside a victim mindset that told me I had a problem that needed to go away. 
and uh, and re- reacting emotionally to that problem. But what he was showing me was, yeah, you can continue to react emotionally to your problem and be stressed out and be worried and be fearful or be angry, or you can create something that would have the problem no longer be relevant. Either it would go away or it wouldn't even uh, mean anything anymore. And those are the two choices. And when I saw that, so it happened, I was able to help other people with it, and I I was able to see I always have that choice. So let's say I get an email um, at work from my boss or my manager, and it's really kind of an unfair email. And it insinuates that I'm not doing my job or whatever. I can see right there that I can react emotionally and get irritated and send a kind of angry email back making him wrong. Or I, I can ask myself, given this email, what do I want to create? And I can create a response that answers that question on a higher spiritual level. And what I want to create is a good relationship with him and a trusting relationship based on goodwill, kindness, and courtesy. So I'm, I'm going to create a response to his email that is not defensive, uh, not ego versus ego, and that is in service to the job I'm committed to doing well. Mm. So that's, that's a creation of mine. So now that email will be received by him in a completely different way than if I'm defensive and angry, because then, and then he's going to push back on that, and it will never end. Like Byron Katie says, defense is the first act of war. So I don't want to get into a war with this guy. So I can ask myself, what do I want to create given this situation? Mm, beautiful question. And I think when I think about creativity versus reaction or reactivity. I think a lot of people are in the workforce right now, especially those of you listening, that they're potentially more on the side of reactivity where they're, they've chosen their job because they feel like they need to be there. And I know that we could also get into victim versus owner with this, but I'm also just kind of, you know, for those of you listening, that's another distinction we wanted to get into. But Steve, I'm so curious for people who are feeling like they're buying into a lot of beliefs that they need to be where they are and they have to have this job to support their family and they probably feel like creativity is very far away. Uh, what, what would you have to share with people who are listening and driving to work right now kind of thinking, yeah, like I had to take this job to pay my bills. I have a family to support and it's not that easy to just get something that allows me to have fun and be super creative as I know that I probably am. Well, um, you can make up that story about your job. And then after making up that story about your job, you can observe the kind of feelings that that story produces inside you and, and then see where that goes as far as you having a good day. But what that misses completely is that we were born to be creative. And you can see this in children. 
they they create out of nothing. You can go um, on some of the poorest back roads of um, a third world country and see children laughing and playing games with sticks and things like that, creating, creating, creating. It's in our nature. And it's my sad story about my job that I'm a victim of because of all the have-tos and all the obligations. That sad story is producing my reaction, and I'm pointing at the job as the source of my feelings. And that's just a misunderstanding about how the brain really works. The brain creates. It isn't the recipient of feelings from outside situations. That's one of the fundamental problems in our society and culture is that we teach everybody that how they feel is a result of the circumstance they're in or how people are treating them or all of that. We teach that from a very young age. And then everyone tries to um, find the perfect circumstance so they can feel, like you say, relief and peace of mind and contentment and happiness. And it never works out. There's just misery after misery. Mm. So it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how the brain works. So I can, I can create a feeling of gratitude for whatever job I'm in. I can create a way to enjoy and love the fact that I'm alive and then help other people in the workplace, wherever my workplace is, to feel happier feel more joy, enjoy themselves more, and then see how that day goes versus the day where I'm just reacting to a story I have about how obligated and trapped I am in life. Mm -hmm. Well, and I guess, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, it's like my first business, I created an e-course and then my second business has been in, in a ghostwriting publicity house. It's called Cake Publishing. And as I've been doing this business, I've been noticing that my biggest joys are doing this podcast. Um, I just am negotiating a book deal right now, writing my first book, which is really feels like a lot of joy. Um, and I, I, what I'm finding, Steve, is that I'm so enjoying a lot of different pieces of my creativity. But right now, in order for me to continue earning the living that supports myself, there's certain things that feel like I have to keep doing those. And so I think I'm no exception to this mindset you're talking about. So I'm curious for people who feel like me where maybe they do have creativity, maybe they are stepping into it in so many areas, maybe they are doing the work saying I'm grateful that I have this. Like in my case, I'm so grateful that I have, you know, a lot of private clients and I'm grateful that I have clients at Cake Publishing. But what I really love the most is this podcast, which I'm growing right now and it isn't in a place yet where it's going to be something I do full time, maybe next year. Um, yeah. how, how do you kind of... If you're a creative being like I am, like you are, like everyone really is, where is that line between, because I don't feel like I'm a victim. I feel like I'm choosing a lot of creative paths, but I'm also just not there yet with what I fully want to be doing all the time. What are, what's your feedback on that? Well, um, there's, what's, so what's wrong with that? Hmm. 
I guess there's just a yearning in me. Like I enjoy this podcast so much. I really look forward to it being something I can do full time. I enjoy writing my book and I, you know, I have other things that pay my bills and support me in a really great way where I can't just write my book full time right now. So, so what I would ask is, uh, what's in the way of enjoying those things? Hmm. It feels like time. It feels like, um, I can fully enjoy those things when I'm doing them, but it feels like the majority of my time is going elsewhere to support myself. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the, the really fun and exciting thing is to really look at where enjoyment truly comes from and whether I can enjoy just taking a walk in the garden or playing with a little dog or doing the dishes or listening to an old song I forgot about, or whether I have to have some big thing that feeds my ego for me to um, think I'm experiencing enjoyment. And and that's a that's an exciting thing for people because when I work with people who have parts of their lives that they think are the hard part and they wish they wish every bit of life was felt exactly like the thing that they enjoyed the most, they get confused about where enjoyment really comes from. And it comes from inside, it comes from the heart. And then they try to change that by keeping a gratitude journal. But when you look at their journal, it's all things outside of them. Mm. So the journal is reinforcing that for you to really feel deep gratitude, um, there have to be circumstances going your way. Things have to start breaking your way. Mm-hmm. Like the election has to go your way, and um, the game has to be won by your team, and you have to find a relationship that you love. You have to find your soulmate. And all these, th- all these things have to happen for your gratitude journal to really be filled up and for you to really feel gratitude. And and there's no gratitude for being alive. There's no gratitude in the journal for your consciousness or your capacity to create. There's no gratitude for your ability to love others. It's all for stuff outside. That that's what these grat. If if we find the gratitude journals of the next 50 people. Let's say we were the gratitude police and we break, <laughs> into, we break into their homes and seize their journals. You'll find that it's all outside stuff. It's all free stuff or outside stuff. Like, I'm, I was invited to be on The Bachelor. I was invited to watch filming of The Bachelorette. I'm so grateful. And it's all this stuff that that you really, your creativity has no real relationship to. Wow. So all this stuff cuts us off from our basic creativity. And, and, uh, and, and so investigating that is the fun part. Mm. And listening to a podcast like yours, because I know you're, you really explore, investigate the mind, the spirit, the Definitely. brain, everything. Well, and I feel like a lot of people who are listening, you know, and even there's a part of me that's like, okay, I see the value of acknowledging all of these inner qualities because it really resonated when you said the ability to love. Like I have a very high threshold to give love 
and and to receive it and it's like there's a part of me that's like well that's cute but now what you know like okay I'm grateful to have this experience and to be able to provide this experience to somebody but I think we are conditioned in a world to, to be living in a world where it is the outside thing so I hate to ask such an obvious question, but what is the point in our gratitude journal of acknowledging all the great things inside of us? I know that there are many, but I'm curious what your take is on this. Well, you mean as opposed to the outside things? Yeah. What? Well, what I, if if I if you acknowledge your capacity to love and be loved, and you're you're really aware of that throughout your day instead of just every once in a while when you reflect, you notice it. Um, it changes how your life feels. It changes how it feels to be alive. Mm. But if all your, all your gratitude is for circumstances that are breaking your way, and they don't break your way uh, for a while, let's say you have to earn more money to do the podcast you love, and that's going to take a lot of time, then your gratitude journal starts to get smaller and your feeling of gratitude starts to go away. Mm. And, and that's because of a misunderstanding that this feeling of love and gratitude and enjoyment of life, deep enjoyment of life, depends on things that I'm achieving, relationships that I receive, and things like that. And it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the degree to which people wake up to the fact that it doesn't is the degree to which they can bring their love and creativity to to anything they're doing because they're so aware of it mm. so that's the, that's the point of being aware of it well and this actually lends itself to your distinction about an awareness versus a belief and i would love to learn about this because i have been in a state of my own uh, shifts and I think that this sounds like it could really serve everybody listening. What is the difference to you between an awareness and a belief? Okay, let let's say um, I'm learning that my low feelings are coming from stories I'm telling myself about myself and about my situation, and that those stories are optional. Right. And well, they don't uh, feel optional, right? Like every, a lot of people think that they don't feel like they're choosing the stories they are saying in their head about themselves. They feel like they're, this voice in their head is tormenting them, calling them mean things, you know, and that they didn't choose it. So how do you help them even see that they are choosing it? Well, they aren't exactly choosing it. What happens is their relationship to it changes for the better. So if I have memories of voices, of uh, thoughts that come up, my mother used to say, oh, you never finish anything. And, uh, and the next thing I know, a thought arises when I don't finish something that I never finish anything. Now, I might see that as a, some kind of permanent part of me, a voice in me, or I can wake up to how the brain really works and how the mind works, and I can see that that's just a passing thought that I don't have to believe. Hmm. Now, that's, that's an awareness of that. Now, I can give a whole course on the role of thought and your relationship to thought. I'm, I'll sign up. <laughs> oh, good. And 
But you're, the two distinctions are you'll either try to believe it, which is what most people do at the start, like happiness is who you are, it's already there, you just cover it up with your beliefs. You can try to believe that or want to believe that or try to replace a negative belief with a positive belief or you can be aware that it's really true. Now, once you're aware that something is true, um, you don't have to try to believe it or try to hang on to it or cling to it or, uh, and it won't go away. It's like with gravity. Once I'm aware that if I open my hand, this cup of tea will fall to the floor, I'm aware of gravity. I don't have to put a post-it note on my refrigerator saying, remember, um, things will fall if you let go of them. I don't have to try to remember it. I don't have to try to believe in gravity. I, I have a deep awareness of it. Same with swimming. I swim in the deep end of the pool. I never used to believe water could hold up someone who was heavier than water. It just didn't look possible. So I did not believe it. But through experience, I became aware that it was true. So I don't have to replace a belief that water won't hold me up with a new belief that water will hold me up. What I have now is awareness that it will through experience. And I don't have to clutter up my mind with all these new affirmations and beliefs and things I'm trying to believe in. That's the difference between awareness and belief. Mm, and where do you see a lot of people getting stuck and where this distinction could really serve them? Because I think a lot of people have a lot of beliefs and per perhaps not no awareness around it. They're on autopilot. They believe something and they don't see it. So why is this so powerful, do you think, for everybody listening? Yeah, well, well, a lot of times they believe things, you're right, and they don't really notice that they're carrying a belief like, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of love and appreciation and friendship, true friendship. Let's say I believe that. So I picked up that belief along the way, somewhere in childhood, who knows where, but I've been believing it secretly ever since. Yeah. And once you believe something like that and you're believing it, uh, the evidence, when you see something that doesn't fit that belief, you dismiss it as not relevant. But when you see someone uh, treat you badly, you you fit that into your belief. Because it fits. And, it lines up with the fact that you're yeah, not that's, Yeah, yeah, you're right. It lines up and it's, it strengthens that belief. But if you're willing to see that that belief is not really true, it's something you made up, then, uh, and you clearly see that, however you see that, it could be through uh, doing work with a counselor, it can just hit you out of the blue, it could be nine days at Byron Katie's school, because her school, her whole nine days, every minute of it, is about this. It's about your thoughts and your beliefs and, and how we take them to be the truth about life when they're not. Mm -hmm. And however you see this, then you become aware that life is mine to create. And I'm back to what I was like when I was two years old and I would wake up and life was just a festival of potential. And, and that's where we want to get back to because that's that's how the human system was designed 
to live in that kind of happiness and joy. This actually reminds me of the concept you mentioned before we started recording. You said that you believe in divine creativity, and I would love to understand what that means for you and how that's relevant to this idea that life is just, I would call it like a buffet, you know, like um, a festival of potential. So what does divine creativity mean for you and for anybody who's trying to step more into you know, awareness and creativity and less into reaction and limitation with their beliefs. Yeah, it's allowing myself to be aware of divine creativity that's running everything. Now, maybe maybe that's just a hope at the beginning. Well, I sure hope um, whoever teaches that, I sure hope they're right. But it doesn't really change your life until it becomes your experience through your own exploration. Mm-hmm. So, so if you see, like when I see my grandson, um, you, ha- you give him a box of crayons and paper and he draws. Now, when he's 30, if I do the same thing and I say, draw me something, he's going to say, oh, I, he's going to laugh and say, I'm not good at this. I can't draw. And I, and I watch him singing. He'll hear a song and he'll sing it. I watch him dancing to music. Um, he, and, but at 30 or 40, if I say, are you a good dancer? He'll say, no, no, no. Can you sing? No, I don't sing. <laughs> so where did that go? Because that was there. That was being fully expressed joyfully. Where did it go? How could a skill set like that go away? And the answer is that basic celebration of being alive goes away through these beliefs that we get. Like to, to make money, you have to work really hard. You have to grind. You have to impress other people. You have to, um, and these beliefs set in and they, and, and every time we think about them, we get more stressed out. We don't see that it's only our thoughts that are stressing us out. Mm. But once you can see it to be the truth instead of a new thing to believe in, then it's really joyful Mm. because you're really free to create with your time and with people. and, um, And then the natural sense of love and compassion comes forth and connects with other people. You don't have to have tricks and a script and a pickup line and things like that to connect with other people. Hey U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, I personally had an experience of a lot of financial success and a lot of financial loss in my entrepreneurial pursuits. And I think losing a lot financially was one of the best things that happened to me because 
there was so much of me that tied my worthiness and value to my bank account and the further it descended downwards in the millions, the closer I got to facing my worst nightmares. You know, like it was, it sounds silly that that would be my nightmare when there's so many other nightmares I can think of in my thoughts, you know, of like my, my mom or dad, like something happening to them. But one of my biggest nightmares was losing all my money because it happened to my dad when I was seven years old, he lost everything. And I remember when I was a kid telling myself, I'm going to fix this. Um, and I think what happened was I had so many thoughts about that experience before it happened and what it would be like. And what I found during it was, yeah, there's a lot of panic, a lot of anxiety. But then I ended up spending certain evenings with friends and feeling so much joy and connection to them and starting to really see what brought me happiness in my life. I came up with a list of what I would do if I had a billion dollars and realized that 90% of the things I'd spend my time doing are the same free things that I do anyway, like going to the beach with friends um, and that there really wasn't a difference. And so I think I'm an example of I had a direct experience of what life is like when my worst nightmare happens and it wasn't a nightmare at all. And so I've, I've found a freedom in the loss. But I'm curious for anybody listening, um, you know, to just really educate them on like this idea of being a victim versus an owner because a lot of the times when we have limiting beliefs and we don't have awareness around them so maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking like I have to do this job or I have to stay in this relationship and there's like this kind of limitation to your life because you have certain beliefs about your situation and you that keep you there how do we get uh Steve how do we get everybody listening to consider the fact that they might be choosing the path of being a victim. And I hate this word because it feels so harsh, but it's true. I hold it in a way that's harsh, but it's true. Um, what can we share with everybody for them to kind of see where they might be keeping themselves stuck where they are and not being an owner of their life? Well, I agree with you. It's very hard, especially if it sounds judgmental as opposed to just being descriptive of what what are my thought patterns like now if my thought patterns right now the thoughts i'm believing are portraying me as a victim of something uh, then the effect on me believing those thoughts is i become discouraged i go into a lower mood and i don't have the energy to connect to my innate creativity that I would have if I were in a good mood. So there's a consequence in believing these thoughts. Of It drives me down into an, uh, a less creative, less active, less proactive state. And so the chances of me altering the situation that I make up a victim story about go down So now it feels like it's really true that I really am a victim. But the way out is is to take a minute to shine the light of truth on my thoughts. These are only thoughts. I don't have to believe any of them. So, for example, when uh, I was a single father with full custody of four children, and I I would tell one of my children, I have to go to work. And they would say, can't you stay home and play with me? No, I can't because I have to go to work. I have to do this. And like you were saying, Ash, 
What about these people who have to do this and think they have to do that? Well, they don't have to. They're choosing to. Yes. And and so I'm so I'm not telling my child the truth. And my child, because they don't have a story about me yet, like Daddy always tells the truth, is listening to this like he's not telling the truth because I heard him say the other day to our mom that he didn't have to go to work. When he when she was sick, I heard him say, I don't have to go to work. I can go to work anytime I want. I have a lot of sick time. I'll stay home and you stay in bed. But today when I asked him to stay home and play with me, he said, I have to go to work. Now, I, I the father, was lying not telling the truth to myself, not a deliberate lie, not telling the truth to myself or to my child. Mm -hmm. Why? Why do you think that is? Because I'm inside a story that I'm obligated, trapped, I have to do this, and I'm not seeing, I'm choosing to do this. And this story um, shuts down my creativity. Mm. And it, it keeps me trapped in this same old same old i have to stay in the relationship i have to stay in this job i have to uh that's not really true yeah. it, all you the real truth is it would be uncomfortable if i made another choice that's getting that's life is now getting better because being a prisoner is a lot worse than knowing i'm choosing this because the option looks too uncomfortable well, and I would love for you to share, like, what does it sound like when somebody is a victim and what does it sound like when somebody is an owner? Because I know that there's, for everybody listening, there's some linguistic things that are indicators for you to know, hey, you're in one lane or the other. So what is it, what do people say when they're victims? Like, what are some linguistic com comments? Well, you, uh, you always hear them say things like, um, life is difficult, life is hard, life is a challenge and you hear him say things like i should i should do this i should do that uh have to it's, it's, instead of i want to do this so when someone moves out of the victim mindset which is purely optional not permanent i can say well i should exercise more well i ask myself do i want to no i don't really want to i I'm kind of okay with how I exercise now. Okay, then that thought that says I should, um, what do you want to do with that? Well, I'll just let it pass through. Oh, good. Because most people say I should do this, I should do that. And by telling themselves that, they create a story about themselves that is a story about this person is underachieving, this person is lazy, this person is cowardly, and all these labels settle in. And then after these labels settle in, what I think of myself, my energy goes away. Because try this, when you wake up in the morning, um, if you say the words, I can't, a hundred times, see how your body feels, versus saying the words, I can, a hundred times. Hmm. It's how... The, the words and phrases you choose to nurture and go with 
are have a direct effect on your whole system. Your situation does not. And, you know, one th- I, I'm really on the same page as you here, and I also struggle because having really grasped this, like I, I correct myself very quickly. So if somebody says like, can you do this? I'll be like, I can't do that. And I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, pref- I'm choosing to work today. You know, so I changed the way that I communicate about it because what I've found for me that is still a trigger is when somebody says, <clears throat> like, for example, in my love life, if a guy looks at me and says, I just can't give you what you want right now. Um, it's always been for me like, well, no, you just don't want to, and that's okay. But why, why do you think we've been conditioned to communicate in this way where it's a lot of, I can't versus I don't want to, or I'm not going to choose that right now. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's just kind of a, a fad for all of us to talk about how everything sucks and how trapped we are. Mm. You know, you get a bunch of people together meeting after work. And they talk about what they don't like about work. Or you get a bunch of guys together and they talk about wives. Or you get a bunch of women, they talk about husbands. Men suck. Women want this. And so it's it's a fad. It's a, it's a tradition. It has no connection to reality whatsoever. It's all optional. And when you see the freedom of that, you feel the freedom of that. And, and life starts to change. It starts to move away from obligation and all that to absolute freedom of creativity. Hmm. I love that. And, you know, one topic that I've seen you write a lot about and you have a book about reinventing yourself. So I'm curious if everybody listening starts to consider these distinctions of creating versus reacting, starting to have awareness to your, your beliefs and starting to choose if you want to buy into certain thoughts or just let them pass through. Um, and maybe they want to become more of an owner versus a victim. So if that's where they're standing in the lane that they're in, what are some uh, pieces of feedback you have for someone who wants to reinvent themselves and take different steps in their lives right now? Well, um, I would follow your heart to wherever it leads you. It might lead you to a certain book, and I know you recommend books and people around you. You go on social media and people say, read uh, Brene Brown's book, read this book. This book is so amazing. Follow your heart toward what you think has a chance of giving you the freedom you want because it's um, your heart. It could be to a certain coach or a a therapist or a teacher or somebody who teaches um, a seminar or a, a spiritual retreat where people learn to reconnect to to the evolving spirit that that is really who they are, whatever it is, because one, one thing might be great for you that you love, like you might love one of my books, but somebody else might read it and say, no, it didn't connect with me, but uh, Byron Katie's book, wow, that, that blew my mind. That gave me new hope, and it started me on a new path, and I started watching her videos, going to her seminars. So whatever calls to you, because the path of inspiration is the best path. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a mutual friend, Jason Goldberg. The best, yeah. 
Yeah, and he does so many fun videos and things like that. And his whole mission in life is to connect people to their joy and and help them see that they were they were put here to enjoy life, serve themselves and serve others mm-hmm. and find joy in that. They weren't put here to be victims of things. And that that was not how the human system was designed. We picked that up along the way from our parents, from our peers, from the skeptics and the pessimists we work with, trying to fit in with them by saying, yeah, I can be more pessimistic than you uh, about marriage. Let me tell you what my husband did last weekend. Mm, and And so, you know, we're trying to fit in with these trends of criticisms, but but you but other fields are going the other way, like positive psychology, which is a whole new field of psychology that's getting amazing results. And so, follow your heart toward one of those things. Well, what if somebody's heart is saying, "I really want to start going to personal development seminars," but their bank account is saying, "You need to pay the rent this month." Like, how do people navigate their inspirations with? their current commitments, kind of like what I was saying before. And I'm not asking this because I'm seeing my limitation, but I'm asking it because I think a lot of people listening are probably like, yeah, I'm inspired to go to Bali and to experience what these cultures are like, or I'm inspired to read all these books, but I have a three kids and a job full time. Like, how do you navigate life and new inspiration? Well, um, do what's possible. Yeah. And so, um, I might read a great book about Bali. I might find some really amazing YouTube tutorials and videos on Bali for now. Mm-hmm. I might learn how to make more money, to be more prosperous in a field that I like. And one day I'll go to Bali, but I don't have to go to Bali to be happy. To be inspired. That can be a, that can be a fun pursuit. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to uh, hold my happiness hostage to some achievement or some relationship. Hmm. I don't want to try to get happiness from Bali or from a so-called soulmate, which is a ridiculous phrase that was put into the culture to make 90% of people feel left out. Uh, (laughs) I love that. I love your relationship to the word soulmate. That's right. Yeah, well, and... It's, it's ridiculous. It's like what mean girls word. It's like, you don't have a soulmate, do you? Oh, ooh. Hmm. Well, and who decides what that means and it how do you know? Nothing. Yeah, and... I decide what that means, and so do you. It means nothing. It's a made-up hierarchical term that separates people from each other. It does not bring people together. Isn't that fascinating? And when we th- we talk about reinventing yourself, so let's say somebody is tapping into their creativity after this conversation and they're writing down some goals of where their inspiration is pulling them. What would be another step or question that they could ask themselves to grow closer to reinventing themselves? Well, um, am I willing to see that I invented myself to begin with? Because if I can't see that, then reinventing doesn't, look possible. Mm. In other words, if I think I'm stuck with a certain personality 
And I start slapping labels on myself. And, and I wrote a book about this, about the labels. Every label we put on ourselves uh, produces a contraction in our creativity. So I'm this, I'm a progressive, I'm a conservative, I'm that, I'm an introvert, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm this, I'm that, and every single label, I'm a neurotic, I'm a narcissist, all these labels shrink people down and keep them trapped in what they think is a permanent personality that they, they have no creative power to reinvent. And they don't see they're inventing it to begin with. So that's step one, is to be able to see that the whatever thing you're saying about this is what I'm like, is something you're inventing in the moment. It's not really true. You could be any way you want it. Like, like the people you read about who run into a burning building and save a child and pull them out, and, they, and everyone says, wow, you're so courageous, and they're confused because all their lives they thought of themselves as a coward, but a coward wouldn't do that, so they're confused, and then they just say, well, I just did what anyone would do. Mm. And uh, they're correct about that. They did do, because the courage is in everyone. Mm. And, and all these labels, that he's a coward, he's a, he's a hero, she's courageous. Um, these labels are what shrink us down. So that's the number one thing about reinventing yourself, is to see that it's all an invention to begin with. Mm. And that's good news. That's creativity at its best. Mm. And what if somebody looks at what they've invented on themselves and like the life that they've created and they're like, oh my God, I have created a life I don't like. How do I trust myself? And how do I get to a place where I step into creating results that I'm excited about? Like they can follow their inspiration. They can realize that, you know, they were in charge of creating the results they've created so far. What's another step that brings them closer to a higher level of creativity? Well, I, I think to have that realize that's good news. You know, all the, oh, my God, look what, I, look what I've created. Look at the mess I'm in. Hmm. Like with me, my bankruptcy, the messes I got in. When I saw my role that um, I had a lot to do with that, I wasn't really a true victim of everything, that, that got me reconnected to creativity. Well, if I can create a mess like that, I can. I might be able to create the opposite of that mm -hmm. because it's creativity all the way, and uh, then it gets interesting and fun. And and the main thing is to allow talk to other people, allow yourself to get help. So let's say, um, how like your question you just asked, how do I if I don't trust myself, if I think I made a mess of things, how do I trust that I can turn that around? Well. Um, find out the answer to that question. Don't just have that question stop you. Go to somebody that you admire. Go to somebody um, who is creating a great life and ask that question. Or go online and ask that question. Or go to Jason Goldberg when he posts, uh, you, can be, you can have a joyful life and have fun with whatever you do. If you, if you went on Facebook and said, how do I trust myself, he will answer you. 
and he will send you uh, videos, audios, and, and so will hundreds of other people. So don't be afraid to have that question be good mm. instead of let the question stop you. Mm. Beautiful. It's like, it's like allowing life to be your coach, allowing yourself yeah. to create experiences and answers through asking in very decisive questions that support you and your path on inspiration. That's it, exactly. You mm -hmm. got it. You don't need me on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, really, why don't you just, do you ever do them when it's just you? You know what? After every episode, I've been doing a conversation of like reflection uh, from what I got out of the conversation. And I really enjoy it. But I've always been kind of mind blown by the podcasters who just talk for an hour. Like, I feel like I've got maybe 10 minutes of thoughts and then I'm done, which is totally fine. There's no rules. I could just do. Ashley's 10 minute U-turn podcast episodes. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. 10 minutes can be great. It can really focus you. Well, you know, I, but, but listening to you, Steve, I still, I still feel like a work in progress. I've created a lot of success financially, spiritually, emotionally. I've had a lot of loss, like experienced at least what feels like loss in all of those categories. And even right now, I'm 31 years old. And for the first time really in my life this past year, I have felt myself more committed to my creativity and inspiration than to my limitation, to my reactivity, to the have to's, to the shoulds. And the experience I've had of that is that when I create something from inspiration, it does really well out in the world, that maybe the world is receiving that energy I'm putting into it. But I'm still very much in that phase of clearing whatever limiting beliefs I have um, to keep me moving, you know, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm doing the work, but it, it happens all the time. I haven't had a coach in a long while, so this conversation is just nice to have. Um, but I'm also curious for everybody listening, for you to kind of discern between your social self and your professional self, because I think, uh, and those of you listening, this is one of the most powerful dis distinctions I've ever heard from Steve, and he has audios on his website at stevechandler.com, and I've probably bought like all of them. But Steve, you talk about social self versus professional self, and I think sometimes this distinction might bring up this feeling for people like, yeah, my professional self doesn't have the creativity I want. So I'm kind of curious, can you paint the picture of what that distinction looks like for everybody listening? Well, yeah. Um, your social self has even less creativity because your social self is sucking up to other people, trying to win them over, trying to please people, trying to be likable and cool and fun and really just amazing person to invite to a dinner party and all of that. And so the problem with my social self, and for most people in our country, it was created uh, in high school or junior high school. It was made up. How do I not embarrass myself? Or how do I win people over and become popular? Or how do I look like I don't want to be popular, but I'm still cool? And that's, that's, that, all that social stuff is a desire to win other people over. Now, when you're in your professional self, say you're a teacher or a coach or consultant, you want to move out of your social self and become, become professional. In other words, you want to serve the other person. And you want to be in service and you want to make a difference and you don't want to just try to win them over and please them and be nice and be afraid to tell the truth. And there are many, many subtle ways to break down 
how how my social self creeps in there and it gets in the way of my professional self. So for example, I work with a lot of leaders who are terrible at holding people accountable or talking to them when they're not living up to expectations and because their social self won't allow them to do it. They're afraid to, um, if I talk to the person about the fact that she's not producing, she won't like me. And I can't afford that because my social self is what's running the show. But professionally, if I wake up to what would be of service to this person, it would be of greater service to tell her, um, we need your performance and productivity to increase for you to stay here. How can I help you with that? And that's a professional conversation. Social self just gossips about her behind her back and then one day calls her in and says, we'll have to let you go. And she never really got the truth about why. And that's, that's the problem of social self creeping into your professional world. Now, that's just a real short version of it, Ash. Probably doesn't make a lot of sense. No, uh, I, I think so. I think the way I've taken it and is that your social self is really the part of you that wants to be liked and it drives the car with that and the professional self is leading with wanting to be respected. That's kind of how I've read it. That's right. And serve, you know, so it's like please, social self is always pleasing. Professional self is serving, making a positive difference with others. And that's a huge distinction, the difference between wanting to please versus wanting to serve. And for anybody listening, I'm, I'm guessing that there's a blur between who they are socially and who they are professionally. So is there any feedback as we've talked about creativity and reinventing yourself and tapping into inspiration around how can somebody step into the thought of creating who they are professionally in the world? Yeah, it's just be be. It's just an awareness that you can do that. Mm. Now, let's say I don't quite trust that I can do that. We have another distinction for that. It's called testing versus trusting. So I'm going to test it. I wonder if I can get a better job than this. What I wonder if I could create a better job than the one I have. Do I have to believe that I can first? No. I'm going to test it out. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to uh, do some interviews on the side. I want to check things out and talk to people. I don't have to trust it in order to test it. I love that distinction as well, trusting versus testing. Gosh, this has been so interesting, and I'm just so appreciative of your time. Is there anything, just given how much we've covered with creativity, reinventing yourself, inspiration, beliefs versus awareness, that any message you would want to impart to anybody listening, because I think a lot of, you know, a lot of you listening probably are feeling like you want more out of life. That's why you're listening to this show. And um, obviously there's a lot of wisdom in this conversation, but Steve, is there anything that you would really want to impart? Well, you know, things like what you put out there allow people to reflect and, and, a final distinction, don't get me going because I could give you a hundred more, but information versus transformation. So you listen, you get this information, I wish it were true, I'm trying to believe in it, but let it drop in. See if it can drop in to your heart on the heart level. And so when I get something that I love listening to, and I know people love listening to your work, uh, listen a second time 
without without taking notes, let it drop in at a new level. And that way you can experience transformation versus just information you're trying to remember. Beautiful. Steve, thanks so much. I know I was going to ask you where everybody can find you, but you were saying, eh, nowhere. So stevechandler.com, they can get your audios and stuff like that. You have so many books. What is the, your favorite book you've ever written? I'm going to say that it's crazy good. Crazy about, good. Yeah, because it's about all these choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks again for being on the show. You're welcome. Hey guys, it's Ashley here unpacking the episode with Steve Chandler. Um, a lot of you don't know this, but you probably heard it at the beginning of the episode that I'm such a big fan of him. It's actually kind of embarrassing. Like I was so jazzed to have him on the U-Turn podcast. It was like I had to like handle my fangirl vibes before he came on. You know, maybe you didn't catch it through the episode. Maybe you did. But his books, his work, his input is genius. And um, I found it to be really interesting to talk about creativity because it brought up a, diff a lot of different thoughts for me that had nothing to do with this episode. Um, what it brought up for me was um, how much we block our creativity and what happens in our day-to-day -day life that keeps us from stepping into the creativity that we really have. And when we really look at it, I think the truth of the matter is, number one, your physical body. If your physical isn't doing very well, you can't really step into your inspiration. And what I mean by that is if your health isn't good, if your diet isn't good, if your focus isn't good, it becomes really hard to step into your creativity. And I'm finding that in the process of writing my book. It's like if I eat too much sugar the day before I have a big writing day, I literally feel drunk, like I can't think and it really affects me and our body can easily become this prison. And when your physical isn't handled, your spiritual, your emotional, your creative pieces can't really be expressed. And so that's why it's so important that as creatives, as humans, that we really honor our creativity. And that means um, really honoring our body, honoring our health. So the first question I want to ask you is where right now are you not handling your health or your energy levels? Where are you not taking responsibility to take better care of yourself so that you can step into more creativity, more expression, and more of yourself? Um, where are you turning your body into a prison? Is it that you're not exercising? Is it that you're not meditating and you think you should? Is it that your diet isn't great? Whatever it is, I just want to inspire you right now to take responsibility for it because it's so profound and it's so powerful when we can really look at that. Another thing that this episode brought up for me was this concept of being a victim versus an owner. And um, he talks a lot about how we say we have to do things versus want to or get to or choose to. And I would love for all of us right now to take a look at our life and take an assessment of what are we up to in our life right now and what is starting to feel like a have to versus a get to or a choose to and to start evaluating like if there's too many things in your life that you feel like you have to do um, then I think it's time to self-evaluate and take the opportunity to evaluate if these have to's um, are really something you're choosing to do anymore and maybe you can make a shift and course correct from there um, really really important 
Uh, there's so much that I could say about Steve Chandler, but I think one of the most powerful influences he's had on me is through his distinctions. And some of them are your personal self versus your professional self. He talks about how we have a, per a social self, a personal self, um, and our social self is the part of us that goes around in the world and wants to be like while our professional self is our professional persona, the person that we decide we get to be in our, our career. Um, he also talks about expectations versus agreements. Um, some of his content that really inspires me is how you know, expectations put us in a victim role. We have this silent idea of what other people should be doing, but we don't let them know or loop them in. Um, but what's more powerful if we want better relationships is to come up with agreements, not expectations, because people don't want to break their agreements. So instead of expecting something from someone, asking them, hey, can you agree to do this or that um, is really, really powerful. So that's just a couple things that are on my mind from his content that I think is really powerful. I think our language that we use of being a victim versus an owner, saying we have to do something versus we get to or we choose to is really important in the way we relate to our lives. And I hope that you are as inspired by Steve as I always am. And i um, just so grateful that you're listening to the podcast. Um, slide into my DMs on Instagram at Ashley Stahl. Let me know what you think. I'm so grateful that you're here and listening. Thanks so much. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.